You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Tonight, I have something that I believe will really, uh, really be something special that will help you uh, in your walk and help you uh, ultimately in life. And, you know, we have, and, and I want to say this, and I don't want to say it because it, so- it can sound too cavalier or just like Christianese. So please hear me when I'm saying this, that every single person that's listening in this room, that's watching live or on replay, every single person that's listening to this, God has a destiny for your life. That is 100% positively the truth. He has a destiny for your life. He has a plan for your life. Um, He knew when your parents were going to cooperate and make the sperm meet the egg. He knew when that was going to happen, amen? And when he saw that they were going to cooperate or all that was going to take place, he said, there's life coming. I knew they were going to come, and I'm going to breathe life into them, and I'm giving them a destiny and a plan. Amen. And I say all that just because, you know, some people get, they come into this world under strange circumstances, and sometimes they don't even feel loved or wanted by their own parents, and they wonder if they were a mistake. Let me tell you something. You were not a mistake. God knew you were going to be here. There might have been circumstances surrounding how you got here that might not have been, quote, of God or might not have been, you know, in the norm, and you might not have been loved or sheltered or cared for properly, but God knew you were coming. God breathed life into you, and he absolutely has a plan and a destiny for your life, and it's to give you, just as it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, to give you a future and a hope not to harm you. All of God's stuff is all good stuff. You don't ever have to wonder if God's plans are good. Because all of God's stuff is the good stuff. He doesn't know anything but the good stuff. And so here's, here's the deal is that we have an adversary, the devil, and he goes about seeking the ones that can be devoured. And so we have to, uh, we have to be the ones who can't be devoured, and I believe that we can be the ones who can't be devoured. That's part of the destiny that God has for us is that we can walk above the problems. We can walk above the ploy and the deception of the enemy to where we're not one of the ones that get devoured. But here's the thing, and this was a question that I, I brought to the Lord you know, several years ago, and I'm like, Lord, why does the devil hate me so much? I, I know that he hates me. I've seen him come and, and try to wreak havoc in my life and in my mind and my heart and my family and all these things. But why does he hate me so much? I mean, that seems like a legitimate question. If you have an enemy, you might want to know, what does he want? What is he trying to steal? What is he trying to take from me? Why is he trying to destroy me? And so the Lord brought me to, uh, to Isaiah chapter 14. And I think we've got that, if we can pull that up on the screen, Isaiah chapter 14. And uh, I think we're going to start in verse uh, 12. And you know what? I don't have this verse written down, praise God. Let me get my Bible and I can pull it out here. I think it's verse 12 that we want to go to. That is verse 12. What did I tell you? Verse 12 to what? 17. Okay, we're going to go with that. All right, so here we go. This is, um, this is Isaiah speaking about uh, Lucifer, and uh, just about, this gives you a little bit of insight into what was going on in his uh, knuckleheaded mind to do <laughs> the things that he tried to do. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, 
O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying. This is what people, the, the, Isaiah is saying. This is what people are going to say about you, Lucifer. They're going to say, when they look at you, is this the man who made the earth tremble? And who shook kingdoms? Verse 17. Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? And it goes on from there. And so in other words, people are going to, when the enemy has been brought down to the, to the final resting place from all of his shenanigans, people are going to look at him and go, this is the guy? This guy here, you're telling me that this puny thing did all of this destruction? We're going to be shocked. People are going to be shocked when they see what a non-factor the devil was. Now, he is a factor, but it's just a very, 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 very small factor. And he gets, he gets blown up sometimes to be something really big and, and major. And we just need to put the devil in his place, mostly here, the way we perceive, the way we perceive him. Go back to verse, uh, I think it's verse 15. Pull up verse 15. And it says, um, go to verse 14. Go to verse 16. Okay, go back to verse 15. <laughs> Sorry. Where is it at? Verse, go back to verse 14. Oh, yeah, it's right there in front of my face. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I, I just want to see, everyone give him a hand. He did, did a great job, amen. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Here's the answer as to why Satan is just so ticked off at you is that he wanted to be like what you are. Because you, you are like God. And, I, and I've heard people say before, oh, you're trying to say that we're, we're like God. And I'm like, yes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm trying to say, yes, you are like God. In the garden, it says that he created Adam and Eve in his likeness and in his image, which I would say has to do with the outward appearance and the inward appearance. If you were, if we could see God, which the Bible says no man's seen God at any time, but if we could see God, he would have a head, he would have two arms, two legs, a torso, he would look like a, a the shape, his shape would be like that of a human being. There's similarities there. And then, but the essence that's on the inside of us, it's God essence, now, we are not God. We are not an object to be worshipped. We are not deity, and we never will be. There's no, there's no ascending to being anything even close to God in that sense. But as far as our nature, as far as our spiritual DNA, we are made just like God. 
So if you want to know why the devil hates you so bad, it's because he's jealous and he and you got what he wanted. I know that sounds maybe just like, really, is that the reason he's so ticked off? I think that's probably a big part of it. He wanted, as it says here, he wanted to ascend and be like the most high God. And so what did the Lord do? He created an entire race of people that were made in his image. And Lucifer, see, here's the thing, is that people think that Lucifer was put on this earth to torment us. First of all, if you think that that's why he's here, you need to think about why, from God's perspective, why he's here, because God's not interested in tormenting anybody. But sometimes maybe people just might think, like, he's here to torment us. No, the truth is, is that we are here to torment him. Because for every person that comes into an understanding of who they are in Christ, it is a slap in the face. It's a spit in the face of the devil every time. Every time that a believer rises up and says, no, no, I am, I am a son of the living God. I am a daughter of the living God. No, I have authority in Jesus' name to trample over ser uh, serpents. I have authority over sickness and disease. I have authority over poverty or whatever the situation is. Every time somebody rises up, it puts the devil, it reminds him of who he is not. And it reminds us of who we are. And he just flat out hates it. And so you know what his, his goal is to steal our destiny, which is this. Let me wrap our destiny up in a, in a small package, which isn't fair, but for the sake of conversation. Our destiny, because there's so much to it, our destiny truly is to display the glory of God. Let me show you this a little bit more from the word. Go to John chapter 1 and verse 14. John 1 and 14. Man, this is so powerful. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what happened is that when Jesus became manifest in the flesh, what was beheld of him, and we can read about it in the scriptures, and of course, they saw him in person, what was seen in person by those that witnessed him, and what we witness of him from reading about him is that it is the glory of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the glory of God, full of grace and truth. But the truth is, here's, here's, where, here's where it gets really good, is that we beheld his glory through Jesus, but now we carry his glory because Jesus lives on the inside of us. It's not just looking at, at Jesus and saying, oh, he was glorious. You know, Liz was talking about this, about the fact that Jesus himself said that, that even greater works than these will, will we do. And he was talking in terms of miracles, signs, wonders, healings. That's what you go and, go and read it. What chapter is that in John 14, some, 16, maybe something like that? And he says that the works that I do, you will do, and even greater works. And again, he was talking about, about in, in terms of the, of the supernatural or whatever. And so how, how is that even possible? It's because what Jesus carried when he was here on the earth, we also carry that same life of God. We, we carry the same spirit. Romans 8 and 11 says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. He has taken up his residency inside of us. God is on the throne, Jesus is seated at the right hand, and his spirit now dwells on the inside of us. 
We have all of the, all of the nature, the, the likeness, the essence, the virtue, the anointing, the blessing, all of that stuff that God has, we now have on the inside of us. And the, the enemy's goal is to try to stop us from manifesting, walking in, releasing the glory of God. And when we say glory of God, I mean exactly that. I, I don't mean the glory of man. I mean the glory of God. We have, we have all of what it takes to transform in an, an entire world on, on the inside of one individual. There's enough to transform the entire world. And when we come into greater revelation, we walk in greater revelation. We walk in a higher reality of what God says about us. That's dangerous to the to the enemy's camp. Because people that know who they are, they can't, be, they can't be taken advantage of. They can't be put underneath. They're the ones that put underneath. And so you, man, woman of God, you are dangerous to the enemy because of who you are. And the higher revelation, the greater revelation you have of it, the more applicable that is in your life to where you are no longer being tormented by the devil but you, you are tormenting him. You are raising hell. <laughs> raise a little hell, raise a little hell, raise a little hell. Okay, different kind of raise. R-A-Z-E, I should explain this before I go off singing it. R-A-I-S-E, that's like, like raise hell, but R-A-Z-E is the complete opposite. It means to tear down. And go to look it up in the dictionary. It means to tear down, to cut down, to destroy. So... We're going to raise a little hell, going to raise a little hell. Da, 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 da. I don't know how the song goes, but anyways, you get, you get the point. Amen. We're called to, to destroy and cut down and dis destroy the works of darkness. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this reason the Son of Man was manifest to destroy the works of the devil, or the works of darkness, the works of the devil. That's the reason, it says, that's the reason the Son of God was manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. And he was the firstborn among many brethren, meaning that there was going to be a bunch of other ones that came from the same spiritual womb. There was going to be more people that would be born again, if you will, because Jesus, in a sense, he was born again because he was raised from the dead into a new life, right? And so now we get born again, and what are we born again into? The same life that Jesus was born into. That's what we're born into, and so we have the same calling on us. To raise hell. <laughs> I like that. We should put on a shirt, raise some hell. That would actually probably tick some people off. Probably don't do that. Just say that to yourself. I'm here to R-A-Z-E-E -E, hell. R-A-Z-E-E? -E? R-A-Z-E -E, hell. Amen. Yes, we're here to torment the devil. That's right. So li listen to this in Romans chapter 8. You guys getting something out of this, by the way? Good. I'm getting something out of it. Romans chapter 8 in verse 18. Oh, I love this. This is so powerful. Here it is. This, this really tells what we're here for. We're here for a, we're here for a purpose. And th this is what it says. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's a lot we could say about that verse, but let's take this part out for a moment the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's glory inside of you. Liz, earlier, I felt you were stealing a bunch of my notes. Uh, but she said, you know, she was wondering, like, where's the kingdom at? 
Where was it? You know, she was asking at that point, at, at that point in her life. And it's like, Lord, when are you going to bring the kingdom? Well, the kingdom has already come, and the kingdom is on the inside of you, and inside the kingdom of God. You know, if you think about this, uh, this is a very interesting point. You know that Jesus never taught on healing. He never taught on healing. You can't find, if you can find it, please come and tell me and I will, I will correct it. But I don't know of one instance where Jesus taught on healing. What he taught and what he preached was the kingdom. And then he healed people. Because see, with the kingdom comes all of the manifestation, all of the reality, all of the favor, all of the blessing, all of everything that's involved in that kingdom, it automatically comes with it. And so when we have what's in us, the glory of God, to be displayed, it really, another way you could say it, it is the kingdom of God. Because the king's glory is the kingdom that he has. I mean, even in, even in a natural sense, you want to look at like Solomon or David. You know, David triumphed over much, and, and the glory of David, if you will, was the kingdom that God built through him. And then Solomon, you know, built this most fabulous building, apparently, that was ever built in the history of man. And so it was, in a sense, that kingdom was his, his glory. God's kingdom is his glory. And where did he place the kingdom? On the inside of us. It's there. And you say, well, I don't really feel like it's on the inside of me. Well, this is where faith comes in. This is where having some knowledge of the word and faith comes in because most of the time, I don't feel like the glory is on the inside of me. I don't feel God's kingdom all the time, but I know what his word says. I know what Jesus has promised me. I know what he's given me. And so I just choose to look at that. And and the thing is, is that we have three parts of us. Everybody hold up three fingers like this. We have three parts to us. What are they? Can someone tell me what the three parts are? Spirit, soul, and body. Very good. Our body is the, the, the outward part of us, what, we can, what we're looking at right now, right? And that, that is something that will be transformed. Now, we can reap the benefits in our body of a transformed life. If you need healing, you need whatever, there is power there to deal with things, symptoms, whatever things that would come up in your life. So I'm not saying that, but ultimately our body will be completely transformed one day. And I look forward to that. Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to look like a chiseled, <laughs> get to heaven. Liz won't be able to keep her hands off me, but I'm sorry. There's people are neither married or nor given in marriage in heaven. And my, my kids are like, Oh, dad, stop, stop. I have a lot of fun with this. It's basically the reason we had children just to torture them. Right? So just kidding. But um, anyway, so our, our body will be transformed one day. And uh, our spirit, but know this, our spirit, stop laughing. Our spirit, it's so funny. Because uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop if you laugh. Our spirit has already been transformed into the likeness, into the image of God, right? So we, we already have that transformation that takes, that's taken place. Otherwise, what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? To be a new creation in Christ means, and as a matter of fact, it says the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we have a, we have a, a total change, transformation that's happened. But then at the same time, we have a soul, and it is in the process of being transformed. And I'm of the opinion that we will never stop transforming our soul, which is our mind, will, emotions, and conscience, that will continue to be transformed if we will allow the Lord to continue that work. 
all the way until the day of Christ. So when it says that he who started a good work in you, he is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ, it's not talking about your spirit. Your spirit has already been made complete. You are just like Jesus. As Jesus is in this world, so are you. And so there is a part of you that has that contains God. You contain the glory of God. How else could you be one with God unless you were unless you became one with him? And and how else could you become one with him unless you were at a point to where he could co-inhabit you? Because the holy presence of God will never stand in unholiness. He will never be in an unholy place. You can find that from Genesis really all the way through the whole Bible, that God doesn't go into unholy vessels, if you will, into unholy places. This is why if you go and look at what had to happen in the temple, man, it was extreme. And like, you know, and we've heard this said before, but the high priest would go in one time a year on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of God dwelt. And he had to do everything, I mean, just, I mean, just perfect. And just in case he didn't, they would, tie, they would tie a rope around him or something around him. And, you know, he would, wear, he would wear bells. And he would wear bells so the people on the outside can hear that he was still moving in there. Because it's quite possible that if he hadn't done everything right, he would drop over dead. Well, who's going to go in and get him? Nobody's going to want to go in there and get him, but they can't leave a dead body in the presence of God. So they had a rope tied to him to where if he died, they would pull him out. Why? Because God is holy and man in their natural self and unregenerated self is unholy. So how could a holy God come and dwell inside of a holy people? It's because he doesn't live in the realm of your body. He, even though the Bible says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you have to remember it calls it a temple. The temple was the outer courts, inner courts, most holy place. It's a picture of, of a person. And so now we have a body, we have a soul, and inside of our spirit is where the presence of God dwells. How? Because our spirit has been totally made complete, brand new, 100%, just like him, totally right with, with God and right standing. It says in Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. So if you ever want to wonder, if you ever wonder what condition is your spirit man in, it is holy and righteous. It's just as right with God as Jesus is with God. How else could we be seated with him in heavenly places? except that God make us right with him. Man, it's powerful. This, oh my gosh, this is so good. <laughs> I love it. Amen. So the glory of God will be revealed in us. I believe that the measure that we walk with the Lord, I, I don't think that there's any, any stop or any limit to the amount of the glory of God that can be manifest through our life. I don't believe that there's, I think the only cap that we, that, that's put on it is what we put on it. That's the only cap because the Lord desires for his life to be made known through us. Colossians chapter 1 and 27, it says, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. No pressure. How is the world going to be able to taste and to see the glory of God, the person of God? You know what, you know what the glory of somebody is, really? It's their, it's their face. It's their person. Like when we look at each other, we don't talk to the back of each other's heads. We, we look at our faces because that's who we are, right? If we were to, to describe somebody, we would describe different things about them, but we would probably describe their face if we could because that's who that person is. And when, when Moses went, you know, he went up on the mountain, he got the Ten Commandments, he came down, and Aaron, the worst, worst associate pastor in the world, <laughs> left, he, left the, he left the sheep with Aaron, and then they were in idol worship in, in 30 days, in one month. They were, they were in idol worship, taking their earrings and stuff, and they made a golden calf. Terrible, terrible leader. And anyways, so Moses came down. He was angry. He broke the Ten Commandments, right? And he broke those tablets. And then the Lord said, I want you to go back up and get a new set of tablets because we got to make this thing right. And so, but this time when he goes up, I think this is in Exodus 34, I believe, 33, 34. He goes back up. He says something to the Lord, he said, Lord, show me, some translations say glory, some say show me your face. So he said, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, show me who you really are. So you know what this is saying, Christ, in you, the hope of glory? It's saying the only way that people are going to really see who God is is when that is manifest in your life, when that is made known in your life. But if it's in you, how can you believe that it can come out of you if you don't believe that it's in you? And this is where the enemy comes into play. Because he doesn't move in great power, he moves in great deception. And his job, what he does, is that he tries to convince people that they are not who God says that they are, and they do not possess what God says that they, they possess. It's the same old lie, just wrapped in a different package. It's really, actually, it's really not wrapped in a different package. It's the same old lie. Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, uh, the day that you eat of the fruit, he said, then you'll be like God. They were already like God. Remember, they were created in the likeness and the image of God. They could not have been any more like God than they were at that moment. And the original sin, I really believe the original sin was not them eating of the fruit. It was them believing a lie from the enemy that they were not who God says that they were. They got into unbelief, you can't be an unbelief and faith at the same time. And the Bible says that anything not done in faith is a sin. The original sin really was they didn't believe what God said about them. And that's where the enemy was able to sneak in. And they thrusted the whole world into whatever. I have a really funny joke I shouldn't tell, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Pray for me. Just pray in the spirit over me. Why can't women ever decide where to go out to eat? Because the last time they did, the whole world was thrusted into darkness. <clears throat> okay. Wow. That's, yeah, brother, yeah! <laughs> Come on, guys, help me out a little bit. Anyways, it's kind of a joke. You know what? I did learn some, I learned some wisdom, though. Listen, I, I learned some wisdom. If you want your wife to pick where to go, give her some suggestions. Say how we could go to, not there, but wherever, whatever good restaurants you want to go to. And, and if she doesn't like any of those, then there's a good chance, then you can label some other ones, but she'll pick. 
Amen. It's wisdom. Okay. So the enemy, <laughs> he came in and he lied. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have told that joke. The enemy came in and he lied. I'm just having a little fun. And, uh, you know, we have to be able to laugh at things like that. We live in this world that is so super sensitive to like, well, that's sexist and, you know, you're a misogynist and, you know, nonsense. Men and women are different. Like I said before, if you don't know the difference, check your plumbing and you will find out who you are, a man or a woman. It's fine to have a little fun with that. Because we could sit up here and tell a bunch of men jokes, too. And so I say those kind of things to be like, let's not get sucked into the spirit of the age. Come on now. Men are men and women are women, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I've, I value women, and the, all the women in my life know that. So it's, I'm fine with that. But um, so the, the enemy lied to them. They, he deceived them, made them believe that they weren't something that God said that they were. And he threw the same uh, package at Jesus when he was in the wilderness and he said, when Jesus was being tempted, he said, if you are the son of God, this was, he was speaking to the son of God. He said, if you are the son of God. You could imagine Jesus being in the fatigued state that he was. He had not uh, uh, drank anything. Did he, he, didn't fa- he didn't fast water the whole time, did he? No, just food. I'm certain of that. Anyways, he at least fasted food. I fasted food few hours a day, and it was really rough, you know? So anyways, you could imagine after all of those days that, the, that, that he was fatigued. He probably could have been thinking all kinds of things. And the enemy uh, comes at him, not just with a temptation to turn, you know, a stone into bread or do, to do these different things. The first thing he said was, if you are the son of God, he was trying to trip Jesus up to maybe think, you know what? I can't believe I'm in this condition. I had everything in heaven going for me. I wasn't missing anything. I had, had all of the glory and all of the comforts of heaven. And I'm just thinking in, in natural terms the best I can to relate Jesus coming from heaven to earth. But you could imagine he could have been looking in a state and thought, am I really the son of God? Because he had a flesh suit that he had to deal with. He was without sin, but he still had to deal with natural circumstances. And that would have been tempting at that point to think, you know what? Maybe I'm not the son of God. I know that might be hard for us to think, no, 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 Jesus, he just knew fully who he was. I guarantee you, he was still tempted. It says he was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. We know for a fact from the Bible, but we also, we can, we can know from that that he was tempted to believe that he wasn't who God said that he was. But Jesus came back and he said, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He took the Bible, he took the word of God, And he combated the enemy, and he combated the lies of the enemy. What is the enemy doing with us today? It's the same thing. He's telling us the same thing. You're not really a son of God. You're not really loved like God says that you are. You don't really have a divine destiny for your life. All of that glory talk that you've heard about God doing great things uh, in you and through you and with you in the earth, that's for some people, but it definitely isn't for you. You've messed up too much. You've blown it too much. You're too X, Y, Z. You've sinned too much. You can put anything in there, and whatever the enemy can get you to believe, he will use that to keep you from just saying, no, 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 no. I am the son of God, or I am a son of God. I'm a daughter of God, and you are never going to lie to me and get me to believe it, devil. If we can combat him like that and not take what he's baiting us with, we'll rise to a whole other level. Because what is on the inside of us is the glory of God. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. What does that include? Everything. It includes the life of God. Now, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this just in a very simple way the other day. That he is, because people get into so many, like, mind games about, you know, things that they're believing for and needing. And, like, did, does God want me to have this? And is this going to happen? And the Lord just spoke to me. And I wasn't really wrestling with that, but just dealing with some different circumstances. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I am the giver of life. And you know what that told me? Yeah, he wants me to have it. And he's already placed it on the inside of me. It's at my disposal. It's at your disposal. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are a glory carrier. So you know what the, you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? Is that the enemy has been lying, and we have been believing his lies. Simple as that. He's been lying, and we've been believing his lies. And so there's a war over our destiny that we have to learn how to fight this thing. Y'all still with me for a few more minutes. So in John chapter 15, let's go there really quickly. In John chapter 15, this is very important. Because when we talk about, we talk about manifesting something, another way we could say it is that we're looking to, uh, to bear fruit. God's called us to bear fruit in him, right? And, you know, there's a difference between bearing fruit and producing fruit. Somebody who's bearing fruit is a relaxed person. Doesn't mean they don't get intense. I get intense sometimes. <laughs> but it's just because I'm excited, not because I'm trying to work something up. But somebody who's trying to produce something, it's like they're like, you've been around those kind of people before? It's just like, they, you think they're going to fall off the edge of a cliff at any moment. <laughs> That's somebody who's trying to produce something. But somebody who bears something, it's just like, you know what? I see the thing, and it's no problem. And so what are they doing? They're, they're staying tied to the Lord, and that's where, that's where the fruit production comes from. Let's read this. It says, John 15 and verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Notice it says that he is the true vine. Why didn't it just say that he was the vine? It's because he had to emphasize that he was the true because there are false vines. There are things that we can attach our life to and draw the nutrients from it, but it not be true. This is a little challenging sometimes for people to hear, but I'm going to say it because I think it's, I think it's important. We have the, the ability in God. We have the authority in God, the freedom that we can take our life. Imagine your life as a branch, and you can stick your life into any vine that you want to, and you can draw the, quote, nutrients out of that and into you, and have some form of life. But it doesn't mean that it's true. And what is true? True is Jesus. He says that I am the true vine. And so I would say there's a couple different ways you could look at this, but ultimately it comes back to, let me say it this, this way, ultimately it comes back to what is the Lord leading you to do? Because you could be tied to things that are good but are not God. And when you're tied to God, it's always the best. Doesn't mean that circumstances are always perfect, but it means it's the best place for you to be because where he's called you and he's leading you and he's telling you to be planted there and to be placed there, 
then you are going to bear not just fruit, but you are going to bear his fruit because you are tied to him. It's really important because what happens is that sometimes people settle for less just so they can have some kind of show of, I did this. At least I accomplished this. At least this thing happened in my life. I don't want to settle for level two when the Lord says, that's great, but I had all the way up to level 20 for you if you had just been tied to me. Well, how do you stay tied to the Lord? I believe it's just a one-time decision, but a continual act of surrender. You come to the Lord and you say, Lord, my life is yours And every day I'm going to surrender myself to you and I'm going to stay tied to you. I'm going to let you speak to me. I'm going to let you minister to me. I want you to correct me. I want you to change me. And Lord, when I begin to bear fruit, I want you to prune me. And that's how we get rewarded. Look at this. (laughs) Keep reading. It says, so I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Our reward for bearing fruit is being pruned. Doesn't that sound lovely? You're doing such a great job. You're tied to me, and all you're, you're doing so good, and there's great fruit being borne out in your life. Now I'm going to cut you back a little bit. And that's not so that the Lord can humble you, all right? If you're bearing fruit, it's because you're already humble and you're tied to him. It's because as we grow... It's, I, I don't even know how to describe it spiritually, but I know this, that whenever, and I'm not even, I don't even have, I don't even know what a green thumb is, but I know this, that when you have like, you have like a bush or a tree or different hedge or something, when you, when you don't cut it back, it gets out of control. When you do cut it back, it doesn't look very full at the moment, but what happens is that when the time of growing comes again, it grows fuller and greater and greener and, and better. Is that a good way to say it for anybody that has like a green thumb? Well, it's the same thing spiritually that happens with us. And, and it, this actually does help you keep humble because you know as soon as like you have uh, longevity in your relationship with the Lord and you move forward and you get breakthrough and God shows you something and man, your things are starting to move forward. Just wait and watch. He's going to go, that's great, son. And he's going to start pruning you. But when the Lord prunes you, it's a good thing because you know on the other side of it. And and the pruning is like this. It's like, you know, you're seeing it this way and you're really close, son. But let me just show you some things here that you've been thinking that are really off. And if we don't get these things out of the way, you're going to get out of control. And we need to cut those things off. But since you've been doing so good, this really will be an easy process. And I started the process years ago of allowing the Lord to prune me, and I look forward to the pruning of the Lord. And it's not always like, you know, you get pruned in the fall and you got to wait till spring. It's not necessarily on a, like a six-month rotation like that. I, it, you know, it could look like an overnight thing, you know, where you do, you do a great and God produces fruit through you. You bear fruit, and then the next day, you know, it could look how, however. But the point is, is that you stay tied with him, you stay connected with him, and you will bear fruit fruit. He produces it, but you bear it. Because people say, well, if it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, how in the world am I supposed to see the glory of God come out of my life? Well, that's a really great question. And and I've been at different times when I've tried to release it in whatever form or fashion, it didn't work. And it's because I wasn't tied to him. But if you're tied to him, it will just work in your life. It's relationship with him. There's a novel idea, right? So you go, let me go on and keep reading this. And it says, 
uh, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We have to abide in him. Now, for where the rubber meets the road with only a few moments left, let me get to this. The deal is, is that we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit to fight the battle of the enemy, waging the war against our destiny. God has a destiny for us, and we, we need to fulfill it. We need to fulfill it. People are counting on us fulfilling the destiny in our life, which is to display the glory of God. It's Christ in you, the hope, the hope of glory. Where's the hope of the glory of God for mankind? Inside of you. Everybody say, inside of me. Hallelujah. So what we have to do is we have to learn, and there is a, there is a strong connection between our thought life and the measure of, I'll use the word prosperity, that we have in our life. Or we could say with it being produced, with production, with the manifested glory, there is a connection between that and the way that we think. Let me show you some verses here that will, that will really bring this home. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, if you want to be blessed in your life, change your fellowship. But we'll move on from there. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, we could say is in the word of God, because at this point, what they had was the law. But now we have this whole thing, all 66 books that are the word of God that he's given to us. And so we're supposed to take the whole word, not just part of it, but all of it that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it says, um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates every Sunday and Wednesday. He should, <laughs> no, it says in, in his law, he meditates day and night. And meditation day and night is the same way that you can worry about something all day long when you're working on something else. That's meditation in a negative way. Like you've got that thing that you're really dreading, that conversation, or you're dreading the, the test at school or whatever it is, or the situation that happened or the bill that's at hand, or how am I going to accomplish this thing? That thing that kind of keeps you like in dread. You ever, anybody ever been there before? Am I the only one? Let me just see a show of hands. Who's been there before? You've like really dreaded something all day long? Okay, that's called meditation, but in a negative way. And we, truthfully, we have all been there. And so the way that you meditate on the word day and night is by choosing to think about, to meditate, to speak on the word day and night. As a matter of fact, this Hebrew word for meditate isn't just to think, but it's a combination of speaking and thinking. Really, it truly is. You go and look it up, and it was this term that got known as davening because David is the one that took this, and he, he, he took this idea that was from the Lord, and he developed it. And you can read commentary that talk about it being a, what the Jews would do is they would rock back and forth in prayer with the Lord, and they would think and they would speak, and they would think and they would speak, and they would get lost in communion with God, lost in conversation with God, and the thing that once was a problem that was tormenting them no longer became something or no longer was allowed to torment them anymore because they took control of their thought life. They meditated on the Lord day and night. Sometimes it was intentional time. Other time it was just going through the day, but they stayed focused on the Lord. Look at the result of this. Remember, this is in context 
context of one who's meditating. And it says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Equation. Meditate, which means to speak and to think, to ponder, to contemplate. So you meditate by thinking, by speaking, all of that equals, on the word of God, equals prosperity. Because what the, and and I'm trying to wrap this all up quickly. What the devil does is that he comes to us with lies telling us that we are not worthy to carry the glory of God. On some level, on some measure, in some way, he will either speak that, he will speak that, we will believe that, we will bring up old things, old thought patterns, things that were said to us, things that were said about us, feelings that we have, and we'll take those things and and, and we will allow the enemy to magnify that in our life. And then do you you wanna know what we produce? We produce the devil's results in our life. Depression, fear, anxiety, worry, all of the things that go with that, that's what we end up manifesting in our life instead of what God wants us to have. But this is where we have to make a decision that we're going to cut out what the enemy is trying to do, recognize his lies, and recognize that he is the accuser of the brethren. And he's trying to convince people that they're not worthy to carry the glory of God. See, we don't see ourselves as glory carriers because we see ourselves in the natural. We look at ourselves in the natural too much. To be honest with you, now let me say it and then I'll fix it. We are not worthy to carry the glory of God. In and of ourselves, we are not worthy to carry the glory of God. But Jesus as it's been said, you have to be careful where you put your butt. Because <laughs> some people will say, Jesus redeemed me. Jesus paid the price for me. He loves me. Da, 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 da. But I just keep messing up. Who cares about you messing up? God doesn't dwell with you because you live perfect. God dwells with you because Jesus has made you perfect. And that's where he lives because of what Jesus has done. And so if you can just shut down the enemy's lies even for just a few moments and begin to see yourself differently, you can break off that shell that's been containing you, that's been holding you to where you only see yourself as a mere man or a mere woman, and you can begin to see yourself the way that God sees you, as a glory carrier, worthy to carry the glory of God. Why? Because you do everything so right? No, because Jesus did everything perfect. So you can, with confidence, look in the mirror and say, I am a glory carrier. Turn to the person next to you or across the room or whatever it looks like and say, you are a glory carrier. Turn to somebody else and say, you are a glory carrier. It doesn't matter how you look. (laughs) Now turn to yourself and say this like this. Say, I am a glory carrier. And the devil is a liar. Amen. See, if we could just get to the point to where we win this war in our mind and we start to see ourselves, we'll, we'll prosper. We have to prosper. The word says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, verse 2, it says, I pray, brethren, that you would prosper and be in health just as or according to or in proportion to your soul prospering. 
Well, your, your mind is a part of your soul. And when your soul prospers, the rest of you prospers. Amen. Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You just have to ask yourself, how bad do you really want it? How bad do you want to see yourself the way that God sees you? Because if you'll take the truth of what the Lord says about you, you see, you can't just take it and go, you know what, I believe that. I believe that. There's a difference between believing something and being fully persuaded about something. There was a time when I, when I first got a hold of, of a revelation of righteousness, that I was right with God and I was positioned right with God because of Jesus. I knew it here, but it wasn't changing the way my life was going. And it's because I wasn't persuaded. And do you know that I drove down the road for a pretty good period of time in my life and I would say, I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am right with God. I am right with God. I am right with God. I'm righteous. I'm totally right with God. Jesus has made me totally right with you, God. Jesus, thank you for making me right with you. I'd find a different, a hundred different ways to cook that meal up and serve it to myself. Why? Because I knew it was, I knew it was right, but I had to become persuaded that it was right. And when you get persuaded about something, the enemy will come in. And he will try to tell you something, and you'll say, you are a nothing loser, rip-off jerk, idiot. Sorry for any kids that are in here. <laughs> Anyways, I get a little angry at the devil. But you don't know nothing, because I know what God says about me. And you're not going to convince me that I'm anything different than what God says. And when he can't break through with that, he can't break through in your life, and he can't steal your destiny. Your destiny includes healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leopards, not leopards, lepers, casting out devils, if so be it, the leopards too, whatever it is. All of that belongs to you. All of that is promised to you. The difference between those who walk in it and those who want to walk in it is the difference between seeing yourself that way versus not seeing yourself that way. It says that they overcame him, so the enemy was cast down. He didn't cease to, okay, we have to finish with this verse. Oh, Jesus. Okay, go really quickly to Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Romans 12 and 10. We're going to be done right here. Y'all give me two more minutes. Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 12 and 10. Revelation 12 and 10. Oh, man, this is powerful. This is becoming my life verse because I lived for so many years believing the lies of the enemy about me. I, I believed that I wasn't worthy to do what God asked me to do. And then when I got over feeling unworthy, I started looking at too many of the natural circumstances. Well, I don't speak well enough, and I, I make too many mistakes, and I don't have the right kind of personality, and just all of my gifting mix isn't right. I mean, everything that I could think to put in there or that I would allow the devil to think for me to put in there, some of y'all allowing the devil to do your thinking for you. Stop doing that. Settle up. Liz got this incredible revelation, and I haven't forgotten about where we're going in Revelation. She got this incredible revelation, Adam and Eve in the garden. Why was she talking to the devil? She should have said, shut up. I'm not listening to you. You're full of nonsense. You're full of lies. You don't have anything but lies. He doesn't do anything but lies. So how do you tell a lie from the truth? 
Because see, the deal is, is that sometimes the enemy, he will come in and he won't, he's not telling you something that's not factual, but he's trying to draw your attention to a lower form of reality. He's trying to draw your attention to be carnally minded, which produces death. And the word of God says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul told Timothy, listen, get this. <laughs> he told Timothy, he said, to wage the war, the warfare, with the prophecies previously spoken to you, which could be the word of God. The word of God is prophecy, but it could be a word that somebody gave to you that's a, a, a word that you're like, yes, that's mine. It belongs to me. I'm going to run with that. And that word wage there, you can go and look it up. And I forget what that's at in First or Second Timothy, First Timothy. And it says, Timothy, to wage the warfare with the prophecies previously spoken to you. Ron, verse 1, verse 17, 18, somewhere in there. And he says, and that word wage means to, get this, to contend against carnal inclinations. Go look it up. That's what it means. He said to wage the warfare. He was saying to take the prophecies, take what God has spoken. That's the point, what God has spoken, and contend against carnal inclinations in your thinking. To think like, I'm only a mere man. I'm only just a person. I'm only a human. You are not only human. You are a born-again, spirit-filled with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the life of God and the life of Christ on the inside of you, believer, and you possess all of the same good stuff that Jesus did. So what we need to do is put the devil in his place. Look here in Romans, Revelation, I keep saying Romans, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice saying, oh, I've read this many times, but I just love it. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. How often did he accuse? This is giving a, this is giving a prophecy about what his end is, which is not good for him. But what it says is that he accused them day and night. What did we read in Psalm 1 and in Joshua 1? It says to meditate on the word day and night. Why? Because the accuser, as long as we are here on the earth and he is here roaming about, he is not going to stop, so neither can you. But it gets better. And it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. You know, the Passion Translation says, and by the word of his testimony. To be honest with you, I kind of like that better because the reason that we prevail against the enemy, it can be because we have testimony, but it's the testimony of Jesus that we carry that causes us to be victorious, which really becomes our testimony. So both are accurate. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Ah, the devil's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. He doesn't know how to do anything but lie. He's full of lies. God's full of truth. He's full of factual lies because he will point at things in the natural that are there. You know, he wouldn't point at me and say, you know, Kent, you're seven foot five. You're just too tall for ministry. Why? Because I'm not seven foot five. Wouldn't be much. It, hey, he wouldn't have. I'd be like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
But he might say some other things about me that I don't like about me, and everybody's got stuff about them that they don't like, either feelings or physical things with their body, whatever it is. They got things that you don't like. That's where he hits you at. That's what he goes for. He'll try to go for those natural weaknesses and say those natural weaknesses are too much for God to overcome to use you. You know what that is? That's called the Moses syndrome. God appears to him in a burning bush. Moses, take my children and whatever it sounded, you know. And he's like, lead them out. I mean, you would think that if God appeared to you in a burning bush, that you would never question anything ever for the rest of your life. You'd be like, yeah. The very next thing, Moses is like, well, Lord, I'm not really eloquent at speech. And the Lord's like, oh, okay, whatever. What do you... I actually, I think that is where he said, what if they don't listen to me? And the Lord was thinking, why is that even a factor? Just do what I'm telling you to do. I mean, I'm talking to you from a burning bush. Do you not see it lit on fire and it's not consumed? That's pretty... A voice and a bush on fire that's not being consumed, that's all pretty supernatural. So the Lord says, all right, well, what do you got in your hand? See, the Lord will just use whatever you, whatever you got, what you got, he's going to use it. Are we after his glory or our glory? Because if you're looking to step into something and have all the bells and whistles, if you have all the bells and whistles, God's probably not called you to do it. I've come to find that out. Sometimes the things that you're the best at, the Lord's like, no, 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 no. You can get glory out of that. I want to do something over here with you where you can't have any room for glory in it. But I'm going to show myself mightily through you in it. He said, throw your rod down, Moses. Moses threw the rod down, turned into a serpent. And then he said, pick the rod up, which meant that Moses had to trust. Because it was a serpent. It could have bit him. And it turned back. And then he said, put your hand on your chest. It turned white like leprous. And then he put it back, and it turned back to normal. And then Moses went on complaining about, I'm not eloquent at speech. I don't have all these things. Someone who's looking at the natural things is saying without saying it that the problems that I have are too big for God to use me. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You need to reject it. You need to cast it down and have nothing to do with it. Because what God says about you is greater than any natural circumstance. You have natural circumstances that limit you, but God's not limited by them. He's only limited by your availability. He's not limited by your ability. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give, or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.